Where is your red line? No losses? Make as much as inflation or make as much money as you can. How much pain can you take? Investors need to find out what their red line is and how it moves. The Red Line Money podcast can help you find it. Redline Money takes the expertise of David Roach and Richard Harris as they talk markets, prices, bubbles and busts, and some even more interesting topics. David and Richard have nearly a century between them of searching for the red line in bull markets and bear. Hear what the crowd isn't saying about current markets and price moves in the long term and even longer. Back to the Egyptians. See markets as an engineering system, a biological organism, or as the behaviour of subatomic particles. You don't get this anywhere else, and you know it makes sense. Okay, guys, so last week we sort of concluded the conversation talking about universal basic incomes and there was a guy called Dan Price who runs a company called Gravity Payments and he decided to pay all of his staff including himself 70,000 US dollars and it turns out it's actually worked out quite well and he continues to do that uh, to this day he's been doing it for about five years now so I thought we could expand on that a little bit more and David I think you'd like to talk to us a little bit about centrally planned economies. Well, it's a big step from Dan Price to centrally planned economies, particularly in terms of the amount of dollars involved. But to put it succinctly, which is very difficult in my case, because I'm naturally garrulous, this worthy person has decided that people should be paid irrespective of their output. Now, that's a very interesting concept, because it is the concept upon which the Soviet Union was based, which was that we would pretend to work and the state would pretend to pay. In the main, things were pretty mediocre but predictable. Medical care was good, the education system was fine, and so on and so forth, but it collapsed in a heap. Now, the arguments were given for collapsing in a heap is because of the intellectual prowess and enormous power of certain capitalists, including Margaret Thatcher, and of course the US. But in reality, it collapsed in a heap because of technology. Now, that's most unaccepted. But the reality is that you could not run an economy where demand had switched from the electrification of the the Soviet Union, which required rather a lot of steel and rather a lot of central planning, demand has switched to people wanting many bras. Uh, I'm talking about braziers, those things. uh, I'm aware uh, of those things. As opposed to bars. (laughs) One of the, well, at least least one of the three of us wears them, though you never know these days. It could be all three of us, Um, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But in in any case, in the days of old, when I was a good Marxist and working in Gosplan in Moscow, which I did as a student for a time, there was only one bra in the Soviet Union, and it was called the babushka bra. And the reason it was called the babushka bra, because it was only one size and one bra, and it was extremely big, and it was destined for what was at the time uh, the image of Soviet womanhood, which was rather large and rather grandmotherly, and so on. At the time I worked, the Soviet plan, the Goss plan, five-year plan, was running five years behind the year we were in. So in actual fact, it was really most remarkable and surreal, because it was planning for the past, and it had to plan for introducing many more types of bra, principally three. And the reason why it had to produce three was because Mrs. Khrushchev could not find a bra to fit her. And she said, this is an absolute disgrace. Let us give people a choice. 
Now, I continue to think that that was actually the downfall of the Soviet Union. Wow. Because once you gave people any sort of liberty to choose, you no longer had a method in which the computers could control production and satisfy demand. You might now, say the economy the didn't have enough support. That, yes, but technological support. Oh, I see. It okay. wasn't that the oil industry collapsed. It collapsed because you could not plan. There were too many networks. There were too many things to be satisfied. We now have wonderful big data, quantum computers, highly intelligent people. You can go online and buy and produce and sell anything you want. If you had had all that sort of stuff when the Soviet Union was running, you would not have had a gap between demand and supply. And because you would not have had that, you would not have had dissatisfaction, which brought the whole system down. But the down, problem down, isn't down. supply, it's demand. It's getting people to pay for them. And it may be that they don't want just three types of bras. Maybe they want yellow ones, pink ones, different colors. The conundrum Ooh. between it all is that the suppliers want to supply everything uh, in one color, and the consumers want to buy individual articles. And capitalism has been able, with its very fuzzy logic, to kind of bring those together. Because if it doesn't work, then nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to buy it. So nobody's actually going to pay a salary. I mean, going back to Dan, the thing about Dan paying very large salaries is that you can be pretty sure that if somebody isn't performing, he's going to get rid of them. So I think part of the problem with centrally planned economies is they end up being centrally planned, often by the same people. There's no creativity. There's no new ideas. It just atrophies. And um, uh, that's the reason why the Soviet Union ended up in the state it was. It got stuck in the 50s when all of a sudden, you know, we ended up in the 80s and it couldn't work. Let us look at a country not terribly far away, but let us call it Laputa or Brobdingnag, hovering in the air, high up, casting a vast shadow. And you look there, we have facial recognition. We now have mood recognition or facial recognition. We have the best online shopping experience and the most productive in the world. So all you have to do is to take those three elements and put them in a centrally planned economy. And it's not centrally planned anymore in the sense that you drive it from the front end of surveillance to the back end of production entirely through existing technology, which will also tell you, by the way, I now understand in the latest advancement, that when a camera looks at somebody, like at your happy face, Richard, it can say, that is a happy face. But if, for instance, Carolyn looks at a bra and says, it will record that and say, okay, and that is not a good bra. We are not going to produce that bra. Or it may simply say, Carolyn is a dissident. Let's get away with her. Or Let's she's just stepped on a bee or something, <laughs> which has nothing to do or with the product like itself. Her boyfriend's uh, just <laughs> dumped her. Yeah. <laughs> Fool. But uh, what we're talking about with the technology is that you still have to have somebody program it. It's still really a very, very fast version of what a decision a human being you know, would make. No, Richard, you don't. You, it'll program itself. And you can do the same thing with central planning, except you don't plan anymore. You actually make it a fully integrated process, which is driven by the front end. Now, I'm not saying that that makes you go back to a, a Soviet-style central plan system. What I am saying is that that is the controversial reason I would put forward why the Soviet Union collapsed. The reality is that if you had the technology you do today in the Soviet Union of yesterday, you would never have had the mismatch between supply and demand. 
the dissatisfactions among ordinary people that that caused, and the whole thing might have reached middle class status, not boom boom status like Shanghai, but middle class status, and people may have just bloody well put up with it. Which, uh, okay, we can argue that another day. It mightn't have been a bad idea. Well, I don't know if putting up with it. I mean, when you went behind the Berlin Wall when it came down, you know, as I, I did, we were around the same time. The fact that there was no light in people's eyes. Part of the problem is that if people aren't allowed to focus on what they want to do and have their own hopes and desires, then you end up with essentially robots. And if that system fails for any reason, well, who's to blame? It's the guys at the top. Now, of course, they will do their best to make sure that it's not themselves to blame. But at the end of the day, there is still a human element at the top. Maybe machines are uh, organizing things below, but the machines are still programmed as a human being would think, even if they're learning from themselves. Most of the AI is based off training of the machines, which is based, of course, on human experience. And the fact that we have a very different environment today in terms of technology in centrally planned economies doesn't mean to say that a lot of the same mistakes won't be made. So are you saying that you think a centrally planned economy can never work or we're not in the right place I yet? think at the end of the day, you have to have that kind of freedom of choice that the market gives you at the bottom end to suck in products, to suck in demand, to suck in the sort of things that they want. You can't just supply them with one bra. But you see, Richard, what I have been saying is you don't have to. You are dri driving <laughs> the system from the wrong end. Because you are saying, OK, if you, as long as you're centrally planning, that's terribly bad and people won't have light in their eyes. Well, when I look around, all I can see is light in the eyes of Bezos and Musk. Having said that, you can actually drive this economy as a centrally planned economy from the consumer end to the back end by the automatic planning imposed by the technology of our day now. But eventually That's, the planning will be case. taken over by political issues, by corruption, uh, by vested interests, and then you end up with all the same issues that you have. Now you get corruption and, and, and you, you and get the, these things happening in Western economies as well, which is why we say that Communism is the worst form of administration known to man, and capitalism is the opposite. Sorry, I did that very badly, didn't I? Uh, communism is the best version of uh, yeah. man's inhumanity to man, uh, and communism is the opposite. Did I do that the right way around there? I I'm not sure, but oh, I feel I this is going to stoke an argument. <laughs> <laughs> they all have issues, and I'm not going for the kind of Bezos thing where all the money is mine. And I'm not going for the one man, one vote thing where I'm the one man and I have the one vote. Somewhere in the middle is a balance because in everything there's a balance. In economics there's a balance, in life there's a balance. Uh, and what we need to do is to try a system that has that balance. It goes one way in one direction and comes back. It moves another way in another direction and comes back. You only have to look at US politics for that. So will it actually happen? No, of course not. With a pendulum will swing eternally. Of course, what we should be doing is looking at how all this impacts the economy in the real world. OK, yeah, go uh, on In then. the US, Australia, Hong Kong, China, etc. How does it impact the economy in the real world? I think what it does is that it moves us back away from the glorification of the free market, the liberal market of the kind of Chicago school, which was Milton Friedman and all those people. Of which Hong Kong was the leading light. Exactly. I think we move away from that and we move back towards something in the middle, which Richard has described as bliss, 
And I would say it's just another stage on the way to someplace else because we never get to this stage of bliss. Yeah, it's the zero but between the minus one thing, and plus one. But from an investor point of view, and after all, we are talking to those happy, happy, happy investors with lights in their eyes out there. From an investor point of view, what this says is if you're in the equity business, corporations are no longer just about making profits. They're about being just in terms of wages, being good citizens in terms of their products, and I can go on until you all go to sleep. What's been occurring to me recently is actually the Chinese system is here to stay. It's not going to be amended. If anything, it's going to be advanced. It's going to be an alternative system. The central bank will look to stimulate the economy uh, and reduce liquidity at different times, but they'll do it in different ways to the way it happens in the West. Now, is there one system better than another? Probably not. You're quite right. The free market system that we saw in the 60s, 70s, 80s, that's probably going to see the end of its days. Maybe not quite the end of its days, but maybe it'll ease off a lot because now we're seeing so much money created to provide so much welfare for ordinary people that we're going to see much more government even in capitalist environments because government's basically paying the bills. And this is where we come back to Dan again, paying his staff $70,000 a year as a minimum wage, because we're in an environment now where government is paying so much in terms of welfare that we're essentially getting a direct transfer from government to people like Dan, but not Dan because he's paying his staff properly, because his staff who are working there can't afford to have a normal life. And the biggest problem, I think, is that wages are just too low. I never thought I'd say that as a capitalist, but, you know, we do need a minimum wage. We do need somebody like Dan to come in and provide enough income that people can go on holiday, can buy an extra mobile phone, can send their kids to school. You go back to our youth. Now, our youth was full of many things, including big government and financing of those deficits by central banks. But there was one other thing. The Italians had to buy Fiat's. The British had to buy British Leylands, and the Australians had to buy Holden's. Now, all of these three brands of cars are almost forgotten to anybody who is not the age of pterodactyl like me. Uh, they're almost forgotten, but we've got to remember they were huge brands, and the only thing that was guaranteed about those motor cars is that one or four of the wheels would fall off within the first year. And that's yeah. where you go. You build absolutely crappy products and sell them for an inflated price, and that's how you run such an economy. Well, that's, that, that, that's what happens if you have a captive market. Today, of course, that a car, an auto, is built all over the world. <laughs> you know, you'll have the wheels made somewhere else, you have something else made in Japan, you'll have part of it in the US. Sometimes the factories, the assembly, will be in one location, and the headquarters may be in Japan. Now, where's the profit going? Or is it better to have a factory in your area that's employing a thousand people, which is owned by a Japanese company, which is making no money whatsoever. Except that that Japanese exactly. company can close that factory down overnight if it so desires. So the world is a well, much yes, more complicated but, place than, than it actually yes, was. Yes, but, 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 but it became a complicated place because of globalization. Now, globalization is complex and involves welcoming all the people who were previously in gulags into the free labor market. Bless them, they don't seem to be any happier than they were in the gulags because everything is so unequal, and I can fully appreciate that. But the reality is globalization is 
over. Even today, I was reading a news story that was about the production of chips for cars. You know, you mentioned the auto industry and how the European Union are trying to double the production of chips there. And maybe that's because there's been a shortage and stuff like that, or maybe it is, you know, going back from globalization and switching to well, more who, of who, who would have thought a car had chips in in? in I, in in my, my dad day, is mortified by this uh, in, 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 in my day, I knew how to take apart a carburetor, clean it and put it back together exactly. again. But a chip, what can you do with a chip? Um, but this is also an issue is that globalization, the benefits of globalization was just in time. Now we have situations where China is threatening red earth, where the Americans may be threatening Europe uh, of not providing the raw materials for the COVID vaccines. Countries are now starting to say, well, hold on, we've got a little bit of a hold here. Let's grab onto it. But of course, what that does is it only makes the countries find more red earth elsewhere. So there is a pullback in globalization. But what I'd point out is that this is a pullback. Nobody is saying you cannot have these things. If you go back to China not that long ago, you know, the old joke was everything made a noise on a Chinese car except for the horn. Well, that's no longer the case. Chinese cars are a lot better. But people still wanted to buy a BMW. It may have been four or five times more expensive. It may have been very difficult to get one. People still wanted to buy a BMW. So as long as we don't have any complete restrictions, things are a bit more expensive. I think there's still a market. You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't pay Why not? Uh, the masses more. Because, because, because you're, I mean, you were obviously brought up in uh, luxury in the UK, <laughs> yeah, as opposed to having a pig in the drawing room in Ireland. Yeah. Actually, I was barefoot in Africa. You've either got a pig in the drawing room or you have a drawing room, but you can't have both. <laughs> now, to bring that back to your analogy, you have described a world in which people are getting paid by government to give them a decent wage, give them this, give them that, and it's not matched by productivity. Well, you can't have that and this idea that the world in terms of the supply chain. Well, where does productivity come into it when you have somebody like Jeff Bezos, who's the richest man in the world, and, and many billionaires in China elsewhere, you can't say that his productivity is equivalent to the amount of money he's making. Can I ask an important question? No, but that is a... Also, what happens when we're all replaced by robots? Oh, I think we go out and we imagine how to make robots be robots. I'll be sitting on a beach with an umbrella in it, hopefully. The brainy people will just move up the income scale and they will, you know, live in a kind of quantum world where you're actually uh, telling the robots or training the robots what to do, even as the robots get more and more sophisticated. But that's, that's but actually... Course, then we come back to, that's actually... You know, then we come back to the masses. What do they do? What do yeah. the masses do? Yes. <laughs> that's the whole point, because we're already seeing robots take over factories. I mean, many of the sheds now that are facilitation sheds cover huge acreages are all automatic. We're seeing these relatively simple tasks being taken over. In finance, of course, we see now straight through processing destroyed a lot of million dollar jobs. But we're also coming through to uh, computers being used in the law to check precedents and things, being used for operations with surgeons. So looking in 10 or 15 years time, a lot of jobs which were very productive and worth a great deal of money will no longer be there. Okay, but then what happens is the computers are earning the money. Well, computers don't vote. Of course, if artificial intelligence does uh, achieve equivalence with human intelligence, then they probably will vote. They'll vote us out of existence, which will solve the problem we're discussing. Because we if they're allowed to vote. Away with. <laughs> if they're, well, no, 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 they just empower themselves. 
But assuming that does not happen very quickly, then the consumers earn the money. Governments take the money from the computers and give it to the burgers. One day the robots will take over the world, and that's a scary thought. I hope they have a sense of humour. I'm Carolyn Wright, and I've been speaking to David Roach of Independent Strategy and Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management. Redline Money is produced in Hong Kong. Thank you.